Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist recommended. This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. It's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. I'm just a dude who loves family, football, and frozen pizzas. This week was a big, fun week, I think. I saw some real bad bitch energy, and I'm feeling like a bad bitch right now. It would have been really easy to be like, I'm happy for you. Yes. Have you ever considered just literally shutting the Comments about social media, like, are going to rub people the wrong way. Like, this isn't the time or the place to be talking about how many followers you're going to have after you leave the show. Like, our focus needs to just be on Zach. Well, I know the news about Zach, that caught a lot of you off guard. 
Zach's in his room. He's isolating. And he's missing all of you like crazy. The good news, though, is Zach's feeling good enough to do something that we've never done in Bachelor history, a virtual cocktail party. We can have emotions and feelings without expressing them, like to intentionally hurt the other person's feelings. So I'm not doing anything. If it hurts your feelings, like if the shoe fits, lace that bitch up. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. I am happy for you, Kathy. This is exciting. Um, I'm obviously happy for you. I'm just sad. When's my sister's birthday? If you don't know somebody's birthday, how do you really know a person? Like, do, do you know my sister's middle name? truth is, as a franchise, we've done a very poor job in the past of addressing serious topics head on. And we're not going to miss that opportunity here tonight. I've essentially like, gone against my word. And I have like fears with like how Katie would feel, how would Ariel feel, how would all the women feel. And I just feel like a, like a guilt about the whole week now because it's not with Gabby, but like a guilt of, you know, I said one thing and I did another. But it came from a good place. Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And today is Tuesday. Usually, we would be having a recap of our beloved game. But as you know, we are in the off season. And the first week of every off season, we like to look back on the season that just concluded and go through our top 10 takeaways from that season. Every season that has ever happened in the history of our beloved game, Bachelor, Bachelorette, Bachelor in Paradise, Bachelor Winter Games, Bachelor Pad, Love is... Or not Love is Blind. I almost said Love is Blind, but listen to your heart. <laughs> not Love is Blind. But all of these Bachelor uh, media projects, they have all contributed to the history of the game. They have all changed the game, even in subtle ways, but they all lend something to the rich legacy of this tapestry that is the Bachelor world, and season 27 is no different. So we are today going to go through the top 10 things that have happened this season that we think are going to have a lasting impact, or maybe that this season will be known for. Um, so shall we begin this, Pace Case? Let's. Oh, I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> the, that, the weirdo didn't make our list. I'm going to put that in the honorable mentions. This was the first <laughs> season with a fucking weirdo. Uh, <laughs> first weirdo bachelor. Yeah, Not until, yeah. you know, season 27. It's a long time. I would argue that was probably season seven's Charlie O'Connell. He was a legit weirdo bachelor, in my opinion. But we're going to begin here. Our list uh, at number 10, and we're going to count it down. And then at the end of this episode... Not Gingin. Gingin was a weirdo? Yeah, I'll give Gingin weirdo credit. First Dolphin Bachelor. That's true. <laughs> God, I'll never forget his laugh. I'll never forget it. <laughs> <laughs> this is the season four Bachelor, Bob Guinea. And now he's a co-host of Bachelor OG. And he had the most sex. Supposedly. That we know of. He's on record as having said that, but I mean, I don't know. But he's a weirdo, so who knows? <laughs> There's a lot of rumors about those first seasons that are, um, let's just say things were a little looser back then. You definitely didn't have fantasy suites where Zach Shawcross was like, uh, I'm not going to have sex at all. That was not happening in the first seasons. At any rate, we're going to get to our top 10. Then once we get to the last item on our list, we are going to give out our season-long awards. We're talking about 
uh, creatures of the season. We're talking about Jorge Moreno bystanders of the season, errors of the season, face plays of the season, plays of the season, MVP of the season. And we also got a new item on this list per Pace Case's request. <laughs> Please unveil your new award. You know, we'll see if this award lasts season to season, but uh, I, I had one and I was like, what would be the award for this? Minutia of the season. All right. I can't wait to hear yours. Clues and I go on tangents and are talking about random stupid shit from time to time. When we think we're at a Wendy, we think we're not at a Wendy's and then we are. So minutia of the season <laughs> is our new award. All right. I can't wait to get to them. Let's begin our top 10 list. Here we go. Number 10 on the list of most important takeaways from historic Bachelor Season 27 starring Zachary Shalcrank. No, Shacklecross, a.k.a. Shalcross, um, was... Shalcrank. Shalcrank. Number 10 was the tier play this season. I don't know if we have ever seen tier play quite like this in any season. We have notable tier players from uh, throughout history. Ashley Iaconetti was kind of held up in her season, uh, season 19, that was Chris Soule's bachelor season, as kind of the most prolific crier because she would cry constantly mm -hmm. and in a very hilarious way. The torch then got passed from her to Kelsey Weir in season 24, literally, when... Uh, Via giant champagne bottle. <laughs> yeah, fucking beautiful, brilliant moment. But uh, here this season, we saw virtually every player cry almost at all times. Somebody else would get named on a one-on-one -on -one date, immediate tears. Somebody else would get a group date rose, immediate tears. We saw Charity crying, I think, in every episode that she was in. Until she got eliminated? It's also like Charity's cry and Gabby's cry specifically were these gorgeous like scene-stealing cries that were like a painting in themselves. And, you know, we're in that professional level, folks. If you can't cry on command, what you even doing here? Get out. You're going to look like a 4TWR loser. Yeah, you have to be able to cry again at virtually any moment. But to your point as well, it was the presentation of the tear play from Gabby and Charity that was on this other level. These are like, um, you know, movie level tear plays when you see how it's presented. I'm reminded of a movie, an old movie called Dangerous Liaisons. Do you remember this movie from the 80s? It's based on a book of the same name, a very famous book. It's about a kind of... Uh, do you remember the... the uh, God, what was that? No. There was a Ryan Phillippe no. movie that was made based on it as well. Dangerous somethings about these teens and love triangles and stuff. The book is a series of, of letters. Oh, that movie I did see. Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? What is the name of that fucking movie? Uh, it's going to haunt me. At any rate, the book is a, a famous piece of classic literature. No, I, I got it. Because I looked it up recently. Reese Witherspoon Kiss movie. Yes, that's the one. <laughs> it's... Cruel Intentions, it was called. I remember. Cruel Intentions, yes. That was that movie, but there was another movie that was based on this same book that was more true to the book that took place uh, in France around the time the book was written, et cetera, et cetera. It had John Malkovich in it. Eloise? No, it's called Dangerous Liaisons. Oh. The same title of the book. Um, John Malkovich was in it. 
I believe Keanu Reeves was in it, and Glenn Close was definitely in it. She played the Sarah Michelle Geller character in Cruel Intentions. And the final shot of this movie uh, has Glenn Close sitting in like an opera box, and everybody's all like done up, crazy costumes and all this kind of shit. And everybody in this opera house turns to her and is kind of laughing at her because she gets exposed for having been the mastermind of this weird manipulation plot. And the shot is just this slow push into Glenn Close's face. She doesn't fucking blink. A single tear rolls down her face. Oscar. She got the Oscar that year for it. We are now seeing that level of tear play in our beloved game. That type of a performance where it is not just crying in response to some emotional abuse they are suffering. It is, uh, it is presented in this filmic way, in this beautiful Oscar-worthy way. Are you now doing it, Pace Case? Are you trying to do it? No, Pace Case has just frozen. Lizzie's back after some technical difficulties. Uh, her Zoom froze, and I thought she was pulling a Glenn close on me. I thought she was going to sit there, open-eyed, not blinking, and maybe try to produce some <laughs> tear play herself, but that was not the case. Just a power outage, <laughs> and her Zoom froze. <laughs> All right, let's move on. I've never tried to cry on purpose, but I bet I could. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe maybe you should attempt that. Not See right if you now. can go into our beloved game. But let's move on to the number nine item on our list. Number nine is the first Bachelor to be engaged since Pilot Pete in this franchise. So we are, of course, talking about uh, Pilot Pete's failed engagement to Hannah Ann Sluss at the end of that season. She gave back the ring, but nonetheless accepted it. Um, so that does count in our beloved game. And then we had after that Clayton Eckers' disastrous finale. And we had after that Matt James' disastrous finale, although he is now together with Rachel Gorkonnell still, and their relationship does seem to be going strong. Mm -hmm. This is the first time on camera. I consider her and Susie ring winners. Okay. Because they got the final roses. They didn't. Susie rejected it. They were offered. They were offered. The offer doesn't count if you don't accept. Um, no, yes, it does. Do you consider the two finalists not ring winners on Brad Womack season? Correct. Their last women standing. Finalists. Oh, wait, no. He didn't offer it, though. But I'm just saying we haven't seen a rejected final rose except for that one. Yeah, Susie Evans. And I consider it a ring win. I consider it... The ring was presented. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't consider it a ring win. Nonetheless, this season... We saw Zach Shawcross propose to Katie Bigger and it was accepted. Now, this is something the producer scripted. They had to have this season end in an engagement. They were going to fucking make sure that was going to happen. And Shawcross obliged, Katie Bigger obliged. And now we're living in this world where they are engaged, making the rounds on all the podcasts, talking about how happy they are, how great this is. I still give it six months. Uh, I think it will decompose. <laughs> Just statistically speaking, I'm going to make that prediction every time and be right 99% of the time. Hey, they live in the same city, so maybe they've got a head start on others. That is definitely a good thing. And we're going to be talking about same city mechanics next week when we talk about the rebrand. But uh, let's move on to our number eight item on this list. It is America's Fimp Rose, or as we have it on this list, the failed idea that was America's <laughs> FIMP. They gave this... Terrible. I mean, it was just a dumb idea. Uh, from the beginning, whoever had it, bad a job, shouldn't be working there anymore, in my opinion. Maybe it was Fleiss. We're going to get to him a little bit later on this list. <laughs> Very bad at job. <laughs> <laughs> Very bad at job, indeed. 
So if the idea is that with America's Fimp was five players get to come out, meet Zach Shawcross at the end of the last season of Bachelorette, and it's the the little live event where the Bachelor gets to meet a couple of players first. So it's going to happen in that. They're going to give a rose to somebody in that initial meeting, and that rose will carry through, at least in game mechanics, to night one, that player will be safe. Mm -hmm. How do they get the rose? America votes on Twitter with hashtags. What? Not only is this virtually impossible to tally, people in the pit <laughs> have tallied it, and Brianna didn't win. Christina Mandrell did. Ooh, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's a fake Twitter election. We already knew that. Yeah. And all it really did was serve to make Brianna a target in the house immediately. Um, nobody believed it was real. Zach didn't give a shit about it. It's like, if this is really about him finding connections and stuff, why, even in the, the conceit of the game, like he doesn't give out the actual first impression rose either. The producers choose that. But the conceit of this is that he didn't choose it. They're even telling us in the, again, the, the mechanics of how America's Fimp works is we choose the person for him. Well, how does that help him find a relationship? It's also denigrating the real Fimp. Absolutely. This was a terrible idea, executed poorly. Um, I hope they never do it again. But I will say this. I will give them props for this element of it. They're attempting to engage with social media by doing this. They're saying tweet about it. They chose the wrong social media platform. It shouldn't have been Twitter. I mean, should have been TikTok. Absolutely. Should have been TikTok. Whoever gets the most comments, the most likes, whatever is going to get the fucking fimp. Yeah. Nonetheless, uh, terribly done. Some small props for the attempt, but terribly done. Please never do this again. Moving on. Number seven. Most important takeaway from Bachelor season 27 is the event that ruined my April. Bachelor live on stage was canceled. We bought VIP tickets front row. We were going to fly and book ourselves hotels in Scottsdale, Arizona. Did we, we got lodging, we got flights and now they just emailed us that it's canceled. Get your refunds this way. No explanations. And the cancellation email was a, a picture of Becca Kufrin, Andrew Spencer and Rodney Matthews, just smiling at you, holding roses canceled. <laughs> <laughs> canceled. This isn't just about the cancellation in my opinion, either. It is about a broader problem or or at least it's a there's a, a broader um impact of this there are a lot of layoffs right now going on at abc and across all network television a lot of companies i don't know if the people who are in charge of bachelor live on stage were were among these layoffs at abc or disney or or whatever entity is putting this on i'm not even sure who's producing it it may be in zk i don't know but um i don't know if this was because of those layoffs but i tend to think that even with the layoffs, if they had pre-sold enough tickets to this that it was going to make them any amount of money, they would not have canceled it. Yeah. So I think this is an indicator of a bigger problem, which is there is not enough interest in the show anymore from the audience watching it to want to fly to Arizona for a weekend and see this thing. However, the amount of people that were watching the show that saw this show advertised zero because they didn't advertise it on the actual show. So who knows? Yeah, the marketing for it was bad. And, you know, we bought our tickets very early. We know Dark Seeker 
was kind of checking on a weekly basis to see how many other tickets for the various weeks had been sold. And she said the week that we were there was was by far the biggest. Uh, good at job. Yeah, she's good at job. Uh, by far that week was had the most tickets sold, but even that week wasn't even half full. So if that was the best week or best weekend, then the other ones were less than half full. They're just doing a very bad job at marketing it. I can only assume they were going to do an equally bad job at putting it together as they did the Bachelor Live on stage that Grace Ann and I went to last year. It just is, to me, this is an indication that the company making this show doesn't understand or care about the audience at all. And if you don't have a happy audience watching your show... What do you mean? We got to vote for Brianna as our yeah. Fimpros recipient. We got to give her a, a immunity idol for night one. Listen, I, I think that that's part of this too. It just, it shows how, um, I think, I don't know if naive is the right word or oblivious. They just don't understand how the audience is interacting with the show. The product Bachelor Live on stage isn't even a good product. Nobody really wants to go and see like people pulled out of the audience to to fake like they're in a Bachelor show with Rodney Matthews or Andrew Spencer. They want a Bachelor Con. Fans of this show, take it from me as one of them. I want to be able to go for a weekend or a Saturday afternoon or Sunday or whatever. I'll fly to fucking Scottsdale. I don't give a shit. I'll go somewhere for it if that event is fucking cool. If it has a bunch of different bachelors there, if I can watch them do like a live episode of clickbait. If we can have people sign our Alex Michelle poster. <laughs> I'm not even going that far. Yeah, people, not him. Just somebody, an Alex Michelle impersonator. Whoever's there. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever's there from the show. I'm just saying that like there is massive fan interest in our beloved game. And I think what fans want, I know what I, I want as a fan is the ability to go to a convention that is all about the show, the history of the show. I want to see different bachelors and bachelorettes from other seasons there signing autographs. Let me take pictures with them. Let me see them put on a bachelor happy hour live on a stage in front of me. Let me just watch that in the audience. Let me see clips from old seasons playing in a room somewhere. Like These are the things that they should be doing. Dark Seasons Dungeon. <laughs> you have to leave your phone at the door to, to watch the Dark Seasons in the dungeon. Fine. Yeah. Great. I'll do it. What I don't want to see is them pulling 12 random people out of the audience to go through these like stupid fucking like approximations of what it would be like to be in the show. Yeah. We want an event where there is a paid Alex Michelle impersonator that we can take pictures with. I would do that. But... I'm hopeful that in the future they're going to get their shit together and there will be some kind of a Bachelor Con, some kind of actual fan service for this show. Because as it stands now, the show treats fans like shit. Even in how they canceled it, again, just a fucking smiling image of these three players and it just says, canceled, no explanation, nothing. Fuck you very much. Yeah. And it said, no, no news of further shows. <laughs> well, because I don't think they're going to do them. I, I think this is fucking done forever. I think the last Bachelor Live was whatever it was two years ago. We'll see. Uh, let's move on, however. Our sixth item on the list of top 10. Hopefully I'll move on from it emotionally. Oh, fuck. You never got to see it ever. Mm -mm. Fuck. It was worth seeing. Damn you, COVID. It was worth experiencing. One of your biggest. Yeah. One of the worst COVID tragedies. Well, I feel like I was there from the 
video I watched of you and Dark Seeker at it. Well, glad to be of service. <laughs> did it did a very good explanation, I think. Yeah, we tried. But I didn't live it. Um well, someone who did live something <laughs> is related to our number six uh item on this list. The treatment of sex this season was beyond bizarre. Sex Week was, in my opinion, one of the most clumsily produced and edited episodes of the entire season. Uh, they rearranged things. They forced Zach Shawcross to talk about having had sex with Gabby. They forced Zach Shawcross into this weird celibacy proclamation that he then breaks. Jesse Palmer is making fun of him for calling it Sex Week once, but they used that phrase a hundred times. They made a woman fucking wear a t-shirt that read it in the women tell all it was just very bizarre. And again, I mean, we talked about this in our recap and I believe maybe even on Twibbon last week, but this show started out in season one as a sex positive show. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I think a lot of people think it's always been this kind of puritanical view of it. It has not in those early seasons. People were having sex with each other. They were talking about their uh, what they like to do sexually. It was a, a much more open and sex-positive show back in the day. Granted, that came with some other shit, like the boob zone and, and, you know, what have you, but... Yeah, I mean, there was still... There's still been a weird purity culture around it, and it made up its own <laughs> rules where you could only do it in the fantasy suites, and then people freaked out when Caitlin did it with one guy, I can't remember who, and... It was before Fantasy Suites Week. Oh, my God. You can't remember who. Yes, you can. And you do. His name was Nick Viala. The greatest player of all time. Next. Next. But uh, there has been this thing in the in the modern seasons. Um, you know, Madison Pruitt's Sex Ultimatum in season 24 there's usually always a somebody playing a PVC. Ashley I. Kennedy played one of the personal virginity cards. Sorry. Heather Martin. Never been kissed. There's always some kind of element of that now. And it it was around early. I mean, I remember Trista, then Trista Sutter. She, on season one, was, I believe, an orgasm virgin, right? Isn't Sutter the name of the husband? Wasn't she then Trista Rain? I don't remember. Now I'm all confused, but... I don't remember now. I'm, uh, yeah, she played uh, never, never orgasm during intercourse. PBC. Yeah, so it was like there a little bit, but then again, on the flip side, the first ring winner, Amanda Marsh, played the exact opposite, talking about all of the mm -hmm. different kinds of things she liked to do while she had sex. They had a their fantasy suite had a thing called sex in the sheets where they ordered rubber sheets for their bed and put ice cream all over each other and took Polaroids of the event, which were shown on the show. So it hasn't always been like this. And when they try to lock the fucking clamps down on it and have him issue these proclamations, and now there's even beyond the rule of just, you can only have sex during fantasy suites week. There's now this other weird rule that's like, well, I'm not even going to do that. Oh, but shit, I did it this time. And now who do I have to tell about it? <laughs> and it's all of the shit that like season 26 had it too with the Clayton Eckerd Rose Ceremony from Hell where he has to tell whoever, however many players that he's been intimate with them. And it's it's this culture that I think they have um, really cultivated, these producers, of making the leads so fearful that how they're going to be edited is going to make them look like shit and they're going to get death threats for the next year of their life, et cetera, et cetera, that they feel obligated to tell everything that happens always and it always fucks them over. It makes it weirder. 
you know, that's what you get from your second weirdo bachelor. (laughs) (laughs) A fucking failed Goldini sex, anti-sex proclamation. I don't understand. It's like they're attacking the idea of fantasy suites itself. And it's like, I mean, you could change it if you wanted it to be different. Exactly. (laughs) You're the ones who are saying this is sex week and (laughs) putting, oh my God, I think they've gotten rid of the panic attack room, but putting all three of the final contestants in one hotel suite. Uh, And also, uh, sex is pretty normal. I know I'm kind of a radical Mm-hmm. But it's a normal part of relationships and the treatment of it like this disgusting thing, like, oh, only adults do, like we're children or something is very bizarre. Yeah. And also like how it they do this weird thing on this show where they're like, oh, look at Zach Shellcross in the shower. He's a piece of fucking meat. Look at what a sexy, hunky guy he is. But then it's like, now they can't have sex. And because you had sex, it has to be a beautiful moment. It couldn't be anything about like physical lust or anything like that. But look at him in the shower. On sex week, they have him in the fucking shower a hundred times. They can't have both. And I think that the the show, like at least in terms of the ideology of what, in quotes, sex week or fantasy suites week is, it it loses something when you have these two conflicting ideas of like, look how fucking sexy he is. You did what? You had sex? I can't believe this. Yes. Like it it weakens both positions and just makes it stupid. It You can very quickly see through the whole facade of like what they're even trying to do as producers. They need to get on a different page with this, I feel like. It just really... Uh, there was a little bit of, I think, momentum going into Fantasy Suites Week. It feels 1800s. Totally. Totally. It's just not contemporary. Um, speaking of not contemporary, let's move on to the number five item on our list here. Social media still villainized. We were so fucking enthusiastic at the beginning of the season when we saw Victoria Jameson, who has almost a million TikTok followers, got cast in the season, and Christina Mandrell, who was literally a a content creator. Born to be the Bachelorette. But her job, too, was content creator, like in her chirons, you know? I was like, fuck, okay, this is it. This is the season. They're turning the corner. They did that dumb fucking America's Fimpros thing, but at least they did something with social media. I was so hopeful. And then what happens? You saw what happened. I, you're putting me back in a moment that I don't really wish to relive, which is where <laughs> I saw okay. Christina Mandrell, and I was like, she's going to save the show yeah. as the next Bachelorette. And then they just didn't protect her and just... Didn't protect her? Villainized. They fucked her over hardcore. Yes. They created a villain edit out of but they should have protected her. Absolutely. I mean, and that that's another thing that's not even on this list, like not protecting the players. That just kind of happens every season now. You're Emily Maynard of 2023. Exactly. Hello. Who makes jokes? I still don't understand like why you cast Mandrell, like whatever. Mandrell had some missteps. She said some things that can be used against her. Not that they were even true. We know that thing with Brianna where Brianna's like, she said she hated me. We saw the footage. Clearly, it was like a joke. She didn't actually mean that. But it's on camera. And so now they can use it. Victoria Jameson, I really don't get that one. They cast somebody who has a million fucking TikTok followers in their show and then disappear her from the show. What? 
They didn't even make her a villain. They just fucking eliminated her presence. Well, she was on that group date that they cut out. That's what I'm saying. With uh, Uncle whatever. Patrick Warburton. Yeah. Patrick Warburton. That group date was a... Um, they had to do puppets. They played with puppets and shit. I'm sure it was funny. I'm sure it was great. I'm sure Victoria Jameson had some great fucking plays. We'll never get to see it. And I don't understand it. They cut that. They cut Katie's morning portion of the fantasy suites. They feel it cuts to me. I want to be whole. Like I said at the beginning of this uh, episode. Make us whole. We are next week going to be talking about how to fix the franchise. How to make us whole. And please tune in for that. Uh, because I, I truly think our strategies are exactly what needs to happen to put this show back on track. To have it become the dominant dating game again. Because it's not now. And we're going to get to that uh, in a minute here in our, our list. <laughs> we. <laughs> We basically did our podcast before the podcast and decided that we need to save the show. And so we're doing the rebrand episode next week. Somebody has to because, I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves where we are on this list, but the people they got running this shit now ain't it. This ain't fucking it. And I know what it is. And we're going to tell you <laughs> next week. I've been to the future. I have. I've seen the future. That much I can tell you. Whether they will come with me into this future or not, I don't know. But uh, they should if they know what's good for them. Okay. We, all of Bachelor Nation should get cryogenically frozen mm. and we wake up and make a new season once we have new technology. You don't even need new technology. You need. You just need new people do, using currently available technology. Um, <laughs> at any rate, I just want to put a point on this thing about social media. This is something that we have been talking about literally since we started doing this podcast, the importance of it, how it integrates with reality television, how they are kind of one and the same. They they are uh, a hand in a glove, a glove in a hand, whatever the fucking phrase is. And the show still cannot get on board with that. Everything from villainizing Christina Mandrell, disappearing uh, Victoria Jameson, all the shit that we've seen over the course of Paradise with Brandon Marias and Piper James, villainizing anybody who even mentions the word Instagram, Anastasia this season, same thing, the 50K yeah. Instagram followers, you're an immediate villain now, fuck you. It's just a gross misunderstanding of what social media means to your show. You want the audience following all of your players, interacting with everything you do in social media so that they then have a better reason to watch the show. If you don't have an audience who is constantly engaged with your show when it's not on TV through social media, they will be less likely to watch your show. It is that simple. I don't get why they can't understand this. I don't I don't know. Maybe it was all the one bad apple and we'll see them change their ways after 2023. <laughs> you think th that Flies was stopping them from using social media? I don't know. I don't think so. Nonetheless. Yeah, he's always tweeting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, he was the one who said they had to use Twitter, I bet. Yeah, we'll do the poll on Twitter. Yeah, that's where the kids are. We'll get Gen Z this way. Right. Okay. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Speaking of engaged fan bases, our number four top takeaway from this season is that we had the rise of the Netflix reality dating formats with Perfect Match and Love is Blind season four during this season. How will Bachelor compete? 
again, tune in next week and I'll tell you exactly how they can not only compete, but destroy Netflix. Like I, I see what The Bachelor could be now very clearly. And it would, it would put Netflix shows to shame if they do what we're saying to do next week. <laughs> but right now, the world we're living in is they're not doing that. They're presenting the same tired format in the face of what Netflix is doing. These are shows that show you who the players are. They give you the footage of players being funny, be, having conversations about abortion, all kinds of shit that you're just never going to see in The Bachelor. Um, in The Bachelor, you essentially have to wait until these players come out of the show and then go on podcasts to get any idea about who they might really be. And so then it asks you to do this extra step. It's like, I've watched the show, all uh, episodes of it this season. I have literally no idea who any of the players are as people. I have none. Yeah. If I want to, I got to watch a fucking podcast or listen to a podcast or see some of their YouTube videos or some shit like that. And it's like, that's bad reality show. It's bad producing. Yeah. Facts I can name about charity. The next Bachelorette, who theoretically should have been getting some sort of edit to show us who this person is and want to follow that season. I know she has a brother who's playful. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I know she is Southern. Um, She's got a beautiful tear play in her repertoire. Yep. What's her job? I feel like I know more about her brother's personality. I don't know. I mean, they did tell us her job, but I have no idea. Game of Roses is sponsored by BetterHelp. Clues. Uh, we all carry around different stressors, big and small. And if you keep them all bottled up, it can affect you negatively. Therapy is a great place to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. You might be taking care of your physical body, but are you taking care of that beautiful mind, Clues? Yes. I have benefited from therapy greatly in the past. Uh, it has helped me get through stressful experiences, manage boundaries, learn coping skills. You know, the the whole premise of life is, is kind of a, a, it's a lot to undertake and therapy can help with that. Well, if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire. Then you get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists literally at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Game of Roses today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Game of Roses. Clues. Mm -hmm. I've been on a mission. I'm trying to find Ooh. the perfect T-shirt. Yeah. Um, because it's spring. I'm ready to get out there. I'm ready to peacock. Luckily, the perfect T-shirt does exist. And you can find it at Skims. From cropped silhouettes to long sleeve layering tees, there's a style for everyone. You guys know how excited I was that Skims became one of our sponsors for this podcast. They have great basics and foundations. I got the boyfriend t-shirt in onyx. That's kind of a dark black color. And the cotton jersey long sleeve t-shirt in kyanite, which is kind of like a blue green. And they're both so comfortable. It's basically like you are wearing no nothing. Great for free spirit types. Well, for all the free spirits out there right now, you can shop the Skims t-shirt shop at skims.com. 
now available in sizes XXS through 4X. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcasts in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Again, that's Skims. Clues, it is springtime. It is the off-season. It mm. is gore girl summer. The weather's getting warmer. Thank true. Dark Lord Palmer. And it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and cowls and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul, get those staple pieces, and I found quince. Now I have a lineup of timeless pieces keeping me looking effortlessly chic year after year. I got the cotton modal scoop neck tee. It is so cute. It is literally the first thing I reach for in my dresser when all my clothes are washed. You know those special items. If you are not like Clues, who only wears one outfit. I'm Quince head to toe at this point. I'm a Quince boy. <gasps> I'm a source boy, Quince boy. Let's you got no go. idea. I'm wearing Quince t-shirts, Quince pants, Quince long sleeve t-shirts, Quince pants, Quince sweaters, Quince pants. I'm Quinced. <laughs> Just call me Quinced, King Quinces. Okay. They call me. I love Quince. Okay, Quince. Uh, get warm weather ready with Quince. Be a Quince King yourself or Quince Queen. Go to quince.com slash roses for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash roses to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash roses. But I, I do feel like I know more about her brother in terms of his personality. He seems very funny and fun-loving. I got that out of the five-second little teaser they showed of us with him putting on the disguise. It's just, when you look at these Netflix shows, again, two of them came out in the span of this one season of Bachelor. It's just night and day. It's so much more contemporary. They, I'm not even saying they protect their players. The ITMs are slick. I'm not saying that they protect their players in a way The Bachelor doesn't, but they they at least allow the players to play. They allow the players to do what they're going to do, be who they are, and they cut a show around those players' strengths. Even if the player is a villain, uh, like I would say Irina is that on the current season of Love is Blind, they still make her entertaining. You still want her to come on the the screen. You like can't wait to see what she's going to do next. Yeah. You want her to join the... Um, no, I don't want to give spoilers, but... They cut their players to be entertaining. It seems like with the Netflix shows, their primary goal is to make an entertaining program. With The Bachelor, it seems like the primary goal is to destroy people psychologically and show the audience as many moments of that as you can. It's, they, they have lost sight of what makes the show entertaining. They believe it's, in quotes, drama, which to them translates to emotional distress. That's not what we want to see as an audience. And I do think they've lost their way. And Netflix is like picking up the fucking ball. They're like, we get it. It's not relatable, you know? Like, yeah, there are... Netflix is way more diverse in race, in body type, etc., and that's pretty glaring when you watch that and then you cut back to this and it's like this group photo of Zach Shalcross and the women could have been taken in 2002. Yes. I mean, that exact same 
style of photo is taken every season. And I get tradition. Yeah. I get the need for ceremony, for ritual. I understand all of that. Take that same photo, present it slightly differently. You don't need to have the bachelor standing in the middle of them, looking at a fucking camera that's slightly above head level of all of them. You don't need that. Do it from a low angle over on the left. Have him looking kind of mm-hmm. coyly into the camera like, yep, I get to yeah. date them all. Like, what's this show about? Put some fucking personality in it. This is essentially a fucking mug shot, a group mug shot of everybody yeah, who is terrified. Their smiles are fucking terrified. All of them, when this photo is taken, are like, shit, what's about to happen to me? I hope I don't get a villain at it. You don't have like, there's no joy in the player base anymore because they're terrified of the producers. And you don't get that in Netflix. You just don't get it. And I think that's also because of the environment. Netflix puts them up in like nice places. They don't make them fucking like their perfect match show. They put them in a fucking mansion. You want to be on the show. Yeah. It's like the vacation of going on a Netflix show is fun. The vacation of going on Bachelor is torture. Yes, you have to quit your job (laughs) and we're not going to pay you. You have to buy all your own clothes. You have to sleep in bunk beds. You get no fucking sleep. If you're going on Paradise, I mean, it's hell on earth. They, They make that part of the show. They're like, look how fucking bad the living conditions are. Ha, ha, ha. They make jokes of it. Andrew Spencer had a fucking python in his room. The only people who go in the sex room are just farting in it. Exactly. They don't get it. I'm also concurrently watching Love Island, and there's players on that who are saying, like, I wish I could stay here forever. No one ever is saying that on the Bachelor franchise. Yeah. They need to make appearances on The Bachelor something that people want to do. Because now... Anybody who's thinking about, oh, maybe I'll apply for The Bachelor, they're also thinking about, "Mm, no, maybe I'll apply to Love is Blind, The Circle, The Mole, Mole. Married at First Sight, any of those fucking Netflix shows. There's a whole slew of them, and you have a much higher probability of getting a big Instagram following out of it because they don't shit on Instagram. They don't shit on social media. They're down with it. And... Perhaps a less uh, intense fan base as well, who are like trying to work out these moral conundrums. Right. Watching. Yeah. The biggest villain in the Netflix reality franchise has the most followers. Mm-hmm. Francesca Farrago, 5.8 million. I mean, well, she's just, she's a one in, once in a generation player. She's just unreal. Great. But I, I, I still think that requires the producers to present her in a certain way. Yeah. You can be a great player, and if the producers decide, fuck you, you're done, you're done. They don't decide that. Oh, my God. They'd probably make her go home week two on Bachelor. Be like, oh, you just said I hate you, JK. Exactly. You're home. You go home. <laughs> yes. They would not know how to present her. I agree. Oh, you FaceTime someone before you left. You go home. Moving on. Our third most important thing. We're getting down to the top three now. Third most important thing that happened this season, of course is Bookwatch. We now know Gabby was caught reading How to Win the Bachelor in the mansion before they left to go on the uh, the travel leg, the domestic travel leg of this season. And the producers uh, have done something strange with it. They disappeared it. They mm-hmm. enforced a rule that none of the other players could talk about it. Um, and they also did not punish her for it. So this, to me, proves that they had already scripted a deep run for Gabby through this entire season, and they were not going to let that be deterred. 
So something that like had a lesser player been caught with the book or a player that they didn't have this deep run already designed for, maybe it would have been used to villainize them in some way. But here they've completely disappeared. Even the event itself, the existence of this happening, they have rewritten the reality of it. Do you think if a lower ranked player had found it, it would have been a different story and they might have used it? Yes, I do. Well, I'm still hoping. I'm still hoping we'll see the book. But maybe not, too. Because maybe it becomes a thing... I I think the story eventually will come out. I don't know how or when or why, but I think eventually it will come out. I think eventually maybe Gabby would talk about it or one of the other players or something on a podcast. I don't know. But I... You know, you, you asked that question, if a lesser player had found it, would it have been used? I don't know, honestly. Because, like, what is the scenario? Is it just one person has found it? Have multiple people found it? Because if she was just one of a few players who found it and they had a deep run for her, they can't accuse the other players of it because that would come back to her. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. If only a lesser player had found it, maybe they would have used it as a plot point. I don't think they ever would have said the name of the book. Like Ryan Folders. Yeah, but the Ryan Ryan Fox you're talking about on um, Michelle Young's season. But um, I also think that it's dangerous territory for them to even admit this book exists. Yeah. Or that a book like this exists. And so I think potentially they will never, ever mention it. Yeah, they don't want people reading it, being prepared, going into the game. That ruins their whole thing. Or does it? Because it gave them potentially Gabby. She was reading the book. Look at the season she turned in. Right. You tell me. An unreal season. Like... I think you want everybody reading the book, producers. It's we're, we're helping you here. You know, we say all this shit about what's bad about the season and all this. It's not because we hate this show. I want to make that very clear. I fucking love The Bachelor. We're obsessed with the show. I want it to be good again. This is... It's hard to watch it now. And I think a lot of people have the same sentiment. You see what they're putting on TV... And it's like, you know how much better it could be. You know how much better it has been not that long ago. But that the current producer class is just like not getting it. And all these things we're saying are like, they're meant to be constructive. And we're having a racism scandal every other season. Well, do you want to move on to number two? (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of racism scandals every other season, (laughs) our number two top takeaway. I mean, it's in a lot of our... Takeaway episodes, unfortunately. And again, another thing that makes it hard to be a longtime viewer, you're seeing this, all this shit come out about Flays. Well, racism in the franchise is still a problem. Two main, uh, two main areas of this. We're talking Flays. We're talking Greer Blitzer. Flays getting fired for racism and all sorts of other horrible <laughs> things that he has said. Yeah, misogynistic, just discriminatory fucking, oh. Saying moo to other, like, players he didn't determine were the correct size. Uh, hard, uh, it's, yeah, it's hard to uh, take all that in. And he's been fired. So... Is this going to change the show at all? I don't know. Um, I will say this. With regard to the the two big racism scandals this season were the Greer Blitzer one and obviously Fleiss. So the Blitzer handling of this racism scandal 
they did seemingly learn a lesson from Eric Schwer in season 19, who, uh, as I'm sure all of us know at this point, a photo surfaced of him toward the end of Bachelor at 19 uh, of him in blackface in a high school yearbook. That came out, but he was Gabby Wendy's ring winner. And so at the after the final rose, they just ignored it. They did not discuss it at all. Disappeared it. And there was a lot of outrage for that. Uh, and Michelle Young walked out of the tape after the final rose taping. Walked out and she had a, a very interesting interview with two black girls, one rose. We had a clip from that in our most recent Digging Deeper. If you haven't heard it, go check that out. But um, the idea that they could completely ignore it in season 19. And now they've done this. They didn't ignore it this time. They put it front and center. They forced Greer Blitzer onto a hot seat. She did this apology. They had a... They brought in a racism counselor. Well, I think she's like a professor, like an expert on it and, and whatever. She's in the audience. They even had Dark Lord Palmer say, we haven't handled... I forget how he said it exactly. It was like, we haven't handled serious issues well in the past. He doesn't ever say racism. He doesn't actually say what it is. But it's still a lot. <laughs> it, yeah, it's some formal acknowledgement. Like the producers are writing that script for him. This has been decided by ABC as well. This is how we have to handle it. So they're at least taking, even though it's like propagandistic. The barest bones. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I, I saw that in... Um three body problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water preservatives or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by get this 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, mm. they have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven day routine tighter skin or your money back get a 15% discount code by using the discount code game that's fiber skincare if you are a wine lover like myself and you gotta have it for your bachelor viewing parties I'm gonna let you in on a little secret I found the personalized the most personalized wine club that has amazing wines and exclusive perks called First Leaf. As a First Leaf member, you get to try new wines and I'm guaranteed to enjoy them because they got to know my unique preferences. I answered a few questions on their website, this quiz about the flavors you like, how often you drink wine, Monday nights, if you prefer red, white, or rosé. And based on these, it gives you this amazing selection of wines tailored just for you. And when you rate those wines, it gets even more tailored, a la, you know, uh, Netflix. Just play into the algorithm. My algorithm got me both rosé and white wine, mm. my favorites, and they were so delicious, and I've gotten to enjoy them with many of my 
my friends. Look, being part of the First Leaf Wine Club also has perks. As a member, you get access to their incredibly helpful wine concierge. So if you want a wine pairing advice or you want to talk about the wines in your box, you can always talk to one of their experts. Plus, you get member-exclusive pricing What's in the box? on every order. <laughs> Join the club today and discover new wines you'll love with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash roses to get your first box. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F.com slash roses. Tryfirstleaf.com slash roses. Sweaters, candles, the dreaded bathrobe. Unfortunately, Mother's Day gifts can be a little predictable and boring. That's why an Aura Frame is the perfect gift to mix things up this year. It was named the best digital photo frame by Wirecutter. Aura Frames are guaranteed to bring joy to moms of all ages. My mom loves hers. I'm throwing pictures of Skabuli and our cat up there. She's laughing. She's texting me. He's so cute. I wish I could meet him. Cute. It's the next best thing to, to meeting my cat, really. You know, I love that it was so easy to set it up. I've recently learned I'm not good at uh, building things and I need an easy install. And oh. this only takes about two minutes to set up the frame using the Aura app. Aura frames are Wi-Fi connected, come with unlimited storage so you can share as many photos as you want from your phone to your mom's frame. She'll be grateful it's not another sweater and she'll love the frame to see more of you. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A, frames.com. Use code ROSES at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. The barest bones accountability for the history of racism in the franchise. And I mean, other than maybe the leads, it doesn't really seem like Fleiss has that much to do with the show now. I'm very curious um, if that will have any change we can even notice. I agree. And this to me is like, how how different is this than Chris Harrison getting fired? It's like they keep taking these people that are kind of like the mouthpiece or the identity of the show and be like, well, we found the racist culprit. Yep. Oh, there's the one. And then it's like, oh, no, wait, though. This next season also had somebody who's doing blackface apologist shit on Instagram. Fuck. I thought we got rid of Chris Harrison. Get rid of Mike Fleiss. He said racist shit. Okay, he's gone. But it's like he didn't cast Greer Blitzer on this season. That's the casting department. They did this. I don't know if it was purposeful. I know in the past... It turns out he's gotten Greer on the show. He's gotten Lee Beard <laughs> on the show. Victoria Fuller. They're all his babies. <laughs> they, they're all going to barbecues on the weekends and shit together, flying their uh, MAGA flags. Um, I think that, personally, I don't think it's going to make much of a difference because you still have... I mean, it may make a difference in, like, again, the lead selection. I don't know how involved he was with Charity's lead selection. Um I would assume maybe that was even one of the sticking points about why he got fired as they were doing these investigations into these allegations mm. that he's saying racist shit. Maybe he was like very against charity or something. I don't know. This is conjecture, but um, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference because like you're saying, he hasn't really been involved in the day-to-day the -day nuts and bolts of how this show gets made in a long time. And the lead selection has very little to do with how the show turns out. <laughs> right. It's more about 
in terms of like trying to avoid these racism scandals, and I I kind I feel for the casting producers to some degree. Unless you can get Tyler Cameron. Unless Tyler Cameron. That's a game. That's a world changer. But like, how can the the producers effectively limit or stop players from coming into the game who have some racist shit in their past that may or may not be online or in a yearbook? It's like, you know, we've talked about what do you do? Hire a private investigator. Is that going to be enough? And then is that like, in terms of uh, time, can that even work? How long does a private investigator need to go through 30 people's fucking entire background history to make sure there's not a uh, some kind of racist shit in the background? I don't know. Well, they've, mi- they've missed some doozies. Yes. One of them <laughs> recently, I guess we'll get to in Twibbon. Mm. dark news but also like is it the culture of the show does it um attract a certain type of player that like a netflix show doesn't i don't know well we have a lot of casting ideas for our rebrand episode but now we've got to get to our number one top takeaway wait wait though i want to talk about one more thing just one more thing about flice remember when he subtweeted you no i keep reminding you of this did he really do that well he tweeted at grace and like something about making fun of Bad Judge. Oh, yeah. The show we met on. Yes, I do remember that. Yes, I do. He was like, this is coming from a you know person who had a show up for one season on NBC or something like that. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> well, hopefully he won't be subtweeting us anymore. But I do want to just mention like the importance of this cannot be understated that he is fired from the franchise. This is the creator of the franchise who has been the lead creative voice in it since the beginning. Like we're saying, that kind of has tapered off over the the last maybe decade or so, but... There tends to be a top-down effect in shows that I've worked on in terms of setting the the cultural dynamic, though. For sure. So I think it will have some impact. And again, this is the fucking guy who created it all. If Chris Harrison was the face of it, this is the brain of it. And that's gone now. So... Face and what do you have without your face and brain? Uh, I don't know, not much. Skeleton. <laughs> yeah, who's the skeleton of the bachelor? I don't know, but um, you know, I do think that this does open it up. It opens it up for the possibility of massive change, whether that's going to happen or not. Now it's up to the ABC executives, the Warner Brothers executives, and that top tier producers. We're talking about Bennett. We're talking about Louis. We're talking about those guys. Are they going to change this shit? We don't know. All right, let's move on. We shall see. We've come to the the final element here, the final thing on our list. Please, Pace Case, do the honors. Our number one most important takeaway from Zach Shawcross's season and what we think kind of encompasses all the rest of this is that it was the season of Goldini. <laughs> The producers tried their very hardest to make this another Goldini season, a.k.a. Sean Lowe, a.k.a. the only Bachelor who got married to his ring winner. And they completely failed, in my opinion. They they don't understand that in order to move forward, compete with these Netflix shows, you can't relive the past. As the Yellow Jackets theme song goes, no return, no return. Mm, interesting. You can't go back. I completely agree. And 
it it had kind of like a negative effect i think that they maybe didn't anticipate which is it uh it diminishes it dilutes season 17 that was sean lowe's season by carting him back out and making him sign off on zach shawcross who is not a liked bachelor in the nation he was perceived as boring the season was kind of boring he had his missteps during sex week everybody villainized him for that even the show did to some degree um it now kind of like has this taint on sean Lowe. he was a perfect bachelor up to mm. this point now he's fucking co-signed zach shawcross if that relationship falls apart he gave zach shawcross his worst idea ever <laughs> that too but if shawcross and bigger fall apart the anointing that Sean Lowe has given to Shawcross and to the season is worthless. And so now even that can't be used again. If you bring Zach, uh, Sean Lowe out again to like give advice to a bachelor, who gives a fuck? If, this, if they don't get married, Sean Lowe is now tainted. He can never be like a, a good Council of Crowns again. I don't think they're going to bring him back as Council of Crowns for a while. The, it just... It just juxtaposed their seasons too much, too. And I was like, God, that was such a great season. Mm -hmm. Do we have a Tierra this season? No. Do we have a Catherine? Well, time will tell. It's also like speaks to the idea of how they don't get that you want a younger audience to start getting involved in your show. So what you don't do is bring a guy out from 10 years ago. Most people that I talk to, uh, via DM and what have you. I always am curious about like, what was your first season? Most of them are season 20 at this point. That is like a big entry point for a lot of people. That was Ben Higgins mm. of the current audience. I mean, that's a, a yeah. huge entry point. They don't even know who the fuck Sean Lowe is. They don't give a fuck <laughs> if he's eating a sandwich while this, while Zach Shawcross is fucking taking a shower or whatever. They don't care. You know what I mean? They also had Sean Lowe make fun of him the whole after the final rose too. That too. Yeah. But it's like part and parcel with their their misunderstanding of how to market the show when they do like graduate posters for Claire Crawley or Thelma and Louise posters for uh, Rachel Recchia and Gabby Wendy. These are movies that the current audience has not seen, does not care about, does not know the the imagery, the tropes from it. So when you're using it to market your season, it falls flat. The same now is true with Sean Lowe. He is too old in the franchise's history to appeal to a new audience. You must move forward. If you want to do that type of shit, the people you bring back are Hannah Brown and Tyler Cameron. That is it. Those are the two. Yes. And they're not doing that. <laughs> no one else is going to move the needle who's from the past. Exactly. I don't even think Peter Krause could at this point. Maybe a few needles. I agree with you. Unfortunately, I have to agree. I mean, look, try it out. <laughs> try it out. Okay, I will. Uh, but that wraps up our top 10. Uh, just missing the chart was this. No, at number 13, this was the first season with a fucking weirdo. We mentioned that up top. Uh, number 12 <laughs> is that we are in an era that needs a necessary rebrand. And next week, we're going to be talking about that rebrand in explicit detail. Again, this is going to be not just, they need to make it funnier. They need to make it better. Uh-uh. We are going to give you specific ideas for exactly how to put this show back on top. And we will also mention in that episode exactly what we will expect in a contract as producers of The Bachelor if you use our ideas. And... Also, just missing the top 10 was this was the season of Jorge Moreno's. I have a big rider. <laughs> Do you? Big. Nice. I can't wait to hear your rider. Maybe we'll have to put that together for that episode too, what our riders will be. But 
Uh, again, just missing the top 10 was the, this was the season of Jorge Moreno bystanders. There were so many good ones. My God. Yeah. And we're going to get to our bystanders of the, the season here. But that to me was, um, the biggest thing that the producers did correctly. These Jorge Moreno's were fucking amazing. God damn. I love them. And it was hard, hard to pick this one. I agree. I had to go back and look through all the Jorge Moreno's like, Jesus Christ, there were so many. But um, let's move on. That wraps up our top 10 list. Thank you for sticking around to the end. And now we're going to give out our season awards. Where shall we begin? You want to begin with the minutia? Yeah, that seems like the best place to start. Let's do it. You and I, in some episode, were discussing, I guess, talking about going to New York again. Okay to do a book signing or some sort of travel. And you said, I don't want to do a mini move. I don't like them. And this was my minutia of the season. The mini moves? I literally, (laughs) the mini moves. Yes. I literally was like, okay. I feel like you and I have spent hundreds of millions of hours speaking to each other. I feel like I know most of your quirks. Okay. A lot of, you know, your attitudes about everything, I would say. And I guess I knew you didn't really travel very much, but the description of it as a mini move and that you don't like having to bring all your stuff with you and that you've only had one vacation ever because you didn't have a hotel room was just one of the somehow still shocked me and was one of my favorite moments maybe this season. All right. Happy to be of service. Uh, this season, the shitty hoojus were my minutia of the season. I love the subsport of hoojus, as I'm sure most people know. Love to break them down, love to review them, love to rate them Olympic style. This season, they were presented poorly, they were executed poorly, and it truly seems like the show, to me, doesn't give a fuck about them. It's it's this uh, holdover from a prior era. The producers still make players do them. They just don't give a fuck. The producers don't care. The players don't care. And as a result, we, the audience, don't care. Got to get the Minutia game or the uh, Huju game up this next season. Mm-hmm. Let's move on to the creatures of the season. What do you got? There was only one answer in my book. Of course, the Royal Bloodline Corgis were my... <laughs> <laughs> Creature of the season. I loved those pups. They were, you know, the 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 fanciest dog you could imagine, the queen's dogs. And I loved them. And I and they had cute little bow ties and I and I thought of them a lot. Oh. And also I liked the bloodline conversation. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Maybe that's my minutiae of the season. Roman Reigns just won WrestleMania and upheld the bloodline, just to let you know. Um, oh, yeah. Good for the bloodline. <laughs> Indeed. What's your uh, creature of the season? The corgis were beautiful. <laughs> Minutia alarm on myself. <laughs> the sex weak monkeys were my <laughs> creature of the season. Love me some monkeys. Love me some monkeys during sex week. Love me some sex week monkeys that almost attacked Katie Bigger as she walked the path of pain. Uh, Thank you, monkeys. Let's move on. They were cute. They were rascals. They were indeed. 
Who was your Jorge Moreno bystander this season? The woman who I believe was maybe the mother of the person sitting next to her who sat in the after the final rose audience and wore the sex week t-shirt was my Jorge Moreno bystander of the season. I loved her. She immediately came to mind when I thought of this. And to me, she really represented, you know, the nation. We're trying to go with whatever the producers are giving us, but you know, we're we're talking about sex week like in this very bizarre way. It just kind of encapsulated the season for me. Interesting. Um mm-hmm. this year, the bartender from London Week was my Jorge Moreno, bystander of the season. Uh, This woman was hilarious. She was doing, if you'll remember, Mm -hmm. teaching them British slang for things. And she even got a whole tag unto herself. I mean, there were a million great Jorge Morenos. And I agree with you, the Sex Week t-shirt lady, immortal at this point. Like, we'll never forget her. But I thought this... There were the people who put who raced with their butt, wife's butts in their head. And <laughs> there were bowler hats, the nudists. Look, I was going to put the bartender, but then I saw you put it and I was like, eh. Oh, all right. Well, she got my Jorge Moreno. Congratulations. She's amazing. Let's move on to our errors of the season. Who you got? For his Goldini sanctioned sex week ultimatum, Zach's. Shalcross got my error of the season. That's rough when a lead gets your error. That's hard. I feel like it really, I was like, what is the one play that I feel like really changed someone's fourth audience persona for the worse, the biggest? And I thought of this one. Interesting. I feel like he really got his villain edit fantasy suites week. Yeah. Um, Greer Blitzer comparing Zach Sharkross getting COVID <laughs> to a sales report that she did once was my error of the season. End of her sales quarter, not just a report. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Um, I think she could have lasted a little bit longer. I don't know if she was going to make it to hometowns or whatever, but she gave him a reason in that moment. And he took that reason the very next week that she showed up after she was uh COVID negative. She went to his hotel room and he dumped her immediately. I think that started with this error. Yeah. I feel like the error was getting COVID. Well, I mean, yeah, but what can you do? She probably got it from him. Let's move on to our face play of the season. Who you got? Katie Biggers, big puffed up cheeks. Got by. Face plan of the season. When uh, Zach Shawcross is telling her about sex week and she she does a big puffer fish face. She had a lot of great face play. What was yours? She actually did. Cat Carter's limo exit growl and claw combo was my 
Face play of the season. Kat Carter was hands down the face player of the season. Nobody came close. She got eliminated early on in the season, which was a mistake, I think, by producers. But that, coming out of the limo with the cat growl, uh, set up all of her face plays uh, after that. She was doing a bunch during the Women Tell All. She was a fantastic face player, looking very forward to her on sand. Let's move on. Now we are into the two final awards, the biggest ones of the season. What was your play of the season? Gabby's chemistry play during Fantasy Suites Week, getting Zach Shawcross to break his Goldini Sex Week ultimatum, was my play of the season. Gabby's chemistry play in the second round of the playoffs that got Zach to break his Goldini vow of celibacy was also my play of the season. Never seen anything quite like this. You've got Goldini. <laughs> You've got literally a god of The Bachelor saying unto his uh, new Bachelor protege, don't have sex. She fucking beat a god. Incredible. And I think then this might uh, have some impact on our next award. Who was your MVP of the season? For my play of the season and really what she did all season through colorful narration, through second audience play especially, Gabby was my MVP of the season. I do feel like in a traditional season, we would have seen her become the next lead from that strong victimization edit, strong fourth audience game, strong second audience game, and clearly strong the third audience since she got the footage of her reading the book removed from the show. Exactly. For all of these reasons, Gabby was also my... MVP of the season. Uh, just fantastic. Top to bottom. This was one of the best seasons we've ever seen turned in. Certainly one of the best runner-up seasons we've ever seen turned in. The fact that she read our book is just icing on the cake to me. I would have given her this MVP anyway. Um, really, really impressed with what she was able to do, especially in a weird season like this with Goldini giving the ultimatums and the producers still kind of like just extracting any personality out of all the players and removing it. Yeah. Um, she was able to kind of inject some of that back in. It was almost like she was too good to even let them edit away who she was as a person. So, yeah, she's shown through all the sanding down that they were doing. But that is it. That wraps up our top 10 and our awards for the season. We thank you for joining us. And again, we'll be back this week with This Week of Bachelor Nation on Friday. But please join us next Tuesday for what I think is going to be one of the most important episodes we will ever do. We are literally going to tell the producers exactly how to save this franchise. And, I, and again, I'm not. these are not like general things. These are very specific, creative mm -hmm. things to do to the format of the show, how it's presented, that we truly believe would resurrect this show in a way that it has never been resurrected. So please, we hope you'll join us for that. At least bring it into the 20, 20th 
21st century, whatever century we're in. 22nd. <laughs> you always give me shit for being from the 1900s and you don't even know what century it is now. This this is abuse. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is abuse. The the fucking cat claw wounds all up your arm are an abuse and me saying the 1900s is abuse. What? Skabulian loves me. That is not abuse. That's how he shows love. It's complicated. It's like Raven. This is how I show love too. I want to be loved in the Raven way, in the Skabulian way. You just make such a fun face when you're annoyed. <laughs> That's why you do it? <laughs> to entertain yourself? All right, I'll accept that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. It's part of it. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. But uh, thanks everybody for joining us. We hope you will join us at the end of this week. And then again, for that uh, all important episode next Tuesday. We also have a new Digging Deeper that came out on our Patreon this week as well. Patreon.com slash Game of Roses. And before we go, as always, what is that Dwabat? It has been 7,680 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be Dark Lord Palmer. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then 